Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity that God has provided us to study the Word of God. We're thankful for each one of you that have taken the time to listen. We pray the Lord will help you. And we, we come today uh, to 2 Kings chapter number 5 to one of the more well-known works of either of these two prophets, Elijah or Elisha, to the work that God's going to do for Naaman the Syrian. So let's just dig right in here. Let's read the first few verses and uh, we'll look through them. Now Naaman, captain of the host, the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid, and that said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So let's stop right there and take just a minute to look through this. And I, I realize as we've looked through these previous scriptures, we've really moved pretty fast through all of this. And, uh, you know, just bringing out, really scraping the surface, barely scraping the surface. And I expect that's how we'll go here. But there's many, in these just these first four verses, there's many works that could easily be overlooked or just read over and never given any thought. But really great miracles right here, just in these few verses. So Naaman, we get a, a quick introduction to who Naaman was. He was captain of the host of the king of Syria. Most likely Benadad here is the king, who, who was a mighty king. He wrought great victories. But to be captain of the host in, in this day, that was the king's right-hand man over all of the military. I think a, a picture we can see uh, in Israel, you've got David, the king, who was the supreme authority over the nation of Israel. And his right-hand man was Joab. And everywhere you see David going to battle, you see Joab and the army there. Joab was David's right-hand man. And here, Naaman is the king of Syria's right-hand man. He is the five-star general. He's the one in command. He's the one that oversees all things. And when the king needs a battle won, when the king needs the military to go do, Naaman is the one that he calls to, and Naaman directs everybody else. So he's a man of, of great authority and a great position, and a man that doesn't have to have somebody to go into the king. He can go into the king himself. He is the king's captain of the host, and he was a great man with his master. The king of Syria, as he looked on Naaman, he, he regarded Naaman as a great and a mighty man of valor. He was a man that had great reputation, even to the king, that as the king and the man in power looked upon him, he looked upon him and respected him for the, the wisdom and the valor 
and the courage and the strength and the ability that he had to command the army. So he was a great man with his master and honorable. He was a man that, that as he said he was going to do, he done. He was a man that you could ask to do, and, and if he was able and he agreed, you could count on him, an honorable man. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now here's something that's not thought a whole lot of. But God gave deliverance to Syria, who by, by Naaman's own testimony here in, in a few verses, he's going to admit that they go into the houses of idols and they kneel down to those idols and call them God that as they would win a victory in a war, they didn't get on their face and thank the God of heaven. They got on their face and thanked their little idol. Most likely Baal, could be Ashtaroth, or all manner of idols that they served in that day. But God not got no glory for the works that was done in Syria, and yet God is giving deliverance according to his will. See, God does as God pleases. And God doesn't have to ask man permission. God is not obligated one way or the other. But God is sovereign in his will, in his intent, in his desire. And God is good to Syria. And God is good to Israel in a natural sense. But you know, in a, in a spiritual sense, that's not equal either. But in the earth and in earthly things, the Bible says in Jeremiah, the earth is mine, the fullness thereof, and I give it to whom I see fit. And in Jeremiah's day, he says, I'm going to give it to Nebuchadnezzar. There's nothing you can do in Israel to stop it. There's nothing that Egypt's going to do to stop it. There's nothing that Assyria is going to do to stop it. I've given it to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you want to rebel against that, Nebuchadnezzar's going to destroy you. But if you'll submit to him, I'll have mercy. And so God there, God's done as he saw fit. He announces it through his prophet. And God is giving the earth to Nebuchadnezzar. Now at that time, Nebuchadnezzar was not a saved man. He was not a man that regarded the God of Israel. God's going to work through Daniel and through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by all accounts, Nebuchadnezzar is going to become a man that respects and that looks to the God of Israel that delivered him. But he's not at this time. God's working to produce. And it's the work of God that produces. Had God not brought leprosy upon Naaman, Naaman would have never come to God. And so God's at work at all times and in all things. And His power extends to all. There's great comfort and peace that we can have in that. Now that does not mean that all of the leadership are centered in the will of God. Sometimes God allows an Ahab to be the king. That judgment might come upon the nation and upon the people. 
But know this, that back of everything, God's in control over all, and he does as he sees fit. And here, God had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. To be stricken with leprosy is what that word means. So Naaman was all of these wonderful things, all of these things that man would look to and respect, and yet there's this leprosy that troubles him. There's this that that really prevents him from being, I believe you could say, what, what he would like to be. Though a good man, though an honorable man, though a mighty man, he was an idolater and he was a leper. And it's through this leprosy that God's going to begin a work. I, I believe as, as Naaman looked on his life, there was just this, this one thing here that troubled him. And you know, if, if I could get this fixed, I could really be a mighty man then. And so God is at work here, even in leprosy, to bring Naaman to God. And you know, if if God didn't do such and such in our life, not natural leprosy, but God allows sin to be viewed as sin. And if, if God doesn't highlight that to us, and if God doesn't trouble us by His grace that we recognize this sin, I, I realize leprosy is a, a glaring issue. It's that that's on your skin. It's that... Uh, uh, that people see and they notice what's that on your arm what's that on your face it's that that's visible and obvious to him and to those around him why Naaman's got leprosy see sin is not as open like that sin is in lives and by the natural way of man it's unnoticed I don't realize just how sinful that I am instead I look on others and justify myself and I think I'm pretty good. But God, by His grace, enlightens us to that. And I say this, when, when God brings to our attention our sinfulness and our guilt and our wickedness and our inability to do anything about it, now that's what leprosy was. It was incurable. There was no means to cure that. There was nothing that, that Naaman was able to do to help that. There was no doctor in Syria that was able to cure that. There was the, the king himself didn't have enough money or, or resources to, to find a cure for that. There was nothing that Naaman could do to bring any healing for the leprosy that he had. And that's the way sin is. Man might try to reform. Man can try psychiatry. Man can try medicines, man can try surgeries, man can even go to the as far as cutting off our arm or plucking out our eye or, or cutting off our foot. <coughs> but the truth is sin is rooted much deeper than the eye or the hand or the foot. Sin is down in the heart and there's no way we can get to that to cure that problem. It's, it's incurable by the ability of man. And so God's brought something here that Naaman can't do anything about of himself. He's going to have to look to a power that's greater than anything Syria has. There's not a prophet in Syria. 
But boy, look how God is working here. And the Syrians had gone out by companies. They had gone out to war. You can read in uh, Samuel, in the chapter where you see David stay back in Jerusalem. And he looks on Bathsheba. In the first verse or two of that, I believe is where it is, that the Bible says when it was time for kings to go out to war. And here the Syrians are. Now they're not godly people. But they're going out by companies. They're going out in groups and they're going to these towns, these cities, these places and they're looking what they can rape and pillage and destroy and take for themselves to enrich themselves. It was real, really greed is what it was. And so they're going out into the coast of Israel here and they're looking what they can destroy and kill that they might steal and enrich themselves. It's for their own good. They have went out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel. So they went to Israel and they've wrought a victory here. And this word little maid, if you look it up, it's diminutive, it's puny, in size or in age. And maid means a, a little girl. And so in, in this day, as they went out to battle, they would destroy houses, they would kill families, but they'd take the little ones, the little boys and the little girls. And the word made there, it, it implies from infancy to adolescence. So she was an adolescent girl. She wasn't, she wasn't an 18-year-old, but 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And God had allowed these Syrians to come and most likely destroy her home and, and kill her family and, and take her captive. You mean God allowed that? It sure looks like he did here. For a purpose and for a cause. Now can you say that that wasn't deserved? See, man, man looks at things and says, well, that's not fair, that's not fair, this isn't fair. But the truth is, I, I, I know for me as, as a, a, a very young man, I was very hateful and very rebellious towards God himself. And God could have just erased me out of history. He could have vaporized me. In hell I lift my eyes and of, of honesty, that would have been fair. That would have been just. And if I was going to get what I deserve, that's what I would have gotten. But you know, as Job endured his great sufferings and his great trial, and as Job lost everything that he had, God was not unfair to Job. Job recognized that. And in the end, God didn't bow down to Job and say, Job, I'm sorry that I let this happen. But Job bowed down on his face and he said, I abhor myself. I hate myself for what I am. And he repented in dust and ashes before God. And so God's working here to his purpose and cause. They've went out by companies. They've taken this little maid. And lo and behold... Naaman's wife takes this little maid to be her servant and she's waiting. The word there means to be before the face, to exist before the face. So she's there with Naaman's wife and she's before her face doing as 
Naaman's wife would command. And she said, now this little maid, we know at this time the condition of Israel, the majority of the nation saved 7,000. 7,000 may sound like a lot, but in a nation of a million or two million people, 7,000 is a very small remnant, I would say. And yet here is a little maid, a young lady that's lost everything she's got. She's in captivity. She's a servant to the God's truth. She's a servant to the enemy. And yet, she is respectful. And she is kind. And what wonderful words of wisdom she's going to speak here. Now you tell me that God was not directing and guiding all of this to happen. God's at work here. And she said, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he had recovered him of his leprosy. Now she knew a few things. She knew there was a prophet down in Samaria, Elisha the prophet. And she knew that if Naaman could get to him, that that prophet had the ordained power of God to take away this incurable disease. And if you read between the lines, they're not trying to insert something into the scripture that's not there. But this issue of leprosy must have been something that was discussed often. Maybe Naaman of a morning as he would get up, he would say to his wife, look, my, my place is getting worse on my arm. And the place, I've got a new place coming up on, on my, my hand. I've got a new place that I feel back here on the back of my head. And, and, and they discuss this. And you know, I, I wish we could get rid of this. I, I, I've tried this new medicine. I've put on this new salve and it's not done any good. However that it was, this maid was aware of the problem that was had. And you know, if, if you put yourself at this time and in this place, you can see maybe this was being discussed at this time. Maybe Naaman's wife was talking about this, this leprosy that plagued her husband. And this maid just inserts herself and says, you know, there's, there's a prophet of the Lord down in Samaria. And he's got the power of God upon him. And he could cure this leprosy. And so it's through this little maid that God is going to bring deliverance and, and that there's even a knowledge of the prophet in Samaria. Naaman didn't know about Elisha and Naaman probably didn't give a nickel about Elisha. He didn't care about a prophet of the Lord because he believed in the God of, of Syria. He believed in the idols. He believed in the false God and it was in them that they trusted and that they looked to for help. But boy, God's going to speak here and, and now you put yourself here. Here's the, the second man in power down in Syria. The right hand man of the king. Not a poor man. Not, a, 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 not even a, a middle class or not an upper class citizen. But here's a man in a seat of great authority and power. A man that's wrought mighty victories. A man that's captured this 
10 or 11 year old girl and brought her home to be a servant. And here's this little girl that, why she's the enemy and she's little and she don't have understanding and she don't know. And yet, they're going to hear what she says and there's, there's belief of what she says here. We know that they believe because they're going to take action. And so God, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree that in order for this to be believed, God must be working as this girl speaks. God's working in the heart and convincing. Why? Naaman in his natural state, couldn't you see Naaman, the mighty man? Why, what does this little girl know? This little girl doesn't know. That's probably some witch doctor down there. But boy, she spoke with such conviction. She spoke in a way that as they said of Jesus, we've never heard a man speak like Jesus before. When the Holy Ghost is at work with that authority and with that power, that word even from a little girl is able to pierce the very mind and heart of man. And so she speaks. And in my mind, a great miracle that what this little servant girl that Naaman had just went down and crushed her family's house and the Syrians had brought her back what a miracle that they believe anything she says. But she's shining the light of the gospel. She's telling of the great power of God down in Israel. And so that's what God calls us to do. Knowing that, that we can't convince them. Paul said, I don't come with words of man's wisdom trying to convince you, but words of the Holy Spirit. And we share the gospel with all men. And God convinces and works on the backside. And those that God reveals and draws, they'll respond positively to the gospel. And here, God is working. And there's going to be a response. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that's of the land of Israel. Now Naaman, he wasn't in the room when she said this. Most likely it was the maid and Naaman's wife and maybe another servant or two. But boy, this, this word spoke to somebody enough that, that they would go in to the master. This, this wasn't the wife. This must be another servant that another servant went in and said, Look, Naaman, this, this little girl that, that we've brought back from Israel, she said that there's somebody down there that can take care of this problem you've got. That there's a prophet down in the land of Israel that's able to do a work and cure you of the problem. Now, is, is that not the message of the gospel? That we say, Look, there's this sin problem You've been overcome and overrun by sin and iniquity and wickedness and rebellion towards God. But there's nothing you can do about that. But there is a man 
the man Jesus Christ. That his purpose in coming to the earth and dying, his purpose was to die for sin, that there might be a cure for this. What wonderful news. You put yourself in Naaman's place. Here's, here's what troubles me. Now there's a way to get rid of that. Boy, when the conviction of God is truly setting in, I don't know how it was for anybody else, but I'd say it's very similar to the way I was. When God came by me and God convicted me, sin was the only thing on my mind. The guilt that I had before God and the judgment that I was facing. That was at that time of God's work that was the one and only thing that was on my mind. And God said, come, come to my son Jesus. The Holy Spirit said, come to the Lord Jesus and he'll redeem you. Of a truth, I, I had no choice. I mean, God had, had opened the mouth of hell and let me look where I was going. Why in the world would I say, no, I'm not going to come to Jesus. I, I'm just going to die and go to hell. No, I tell you, God's able to make it so plain and so vivid and so real that even a rebellious and hard-hearted teenage man would not turn away from the call of God. Isn't that wonderful that God makes it real in the hearts and God draws to the Lord Jesus unto His elect. It's a wonderful, wonderful work. Thank God for that work. For if God did not through the Spirit minister to our hearts, there would not be a single man come to God. If God did not speak through this little girl down at Naaman's house, then Naaman would have never come to Israel. I don't, I don't believe there's any argument there. This was a, a, an ordained part of Naaman's redemption that this little girl would speak these words. And so God must be back of this working in hearts and in minds, convincing and drawing and working. And it, it convinced the servant enough that the servant's going to go to Naaman and say, look, this little maid... How diminutive. Word of God says she was little. She was puny. Diminutive. And yet look how that she's remembered. There's no telling how many times that this little message has been preached through this scripture that God has worked through this little maid. And, and God works, you know, in the mind of man and in the looking of man. My God, how insignificant that the church is. How worthless that the church is in the eyes of man. But my God, what power that the church has. The church, the, the chosen of God Almighty that God has put His Spirit and power upon, that God has redeemed from sin and from the devil and set free by His eternal power and grace. What powers in the church and what glory is there? This little maid, she was little and diminutive here. But what do you think Naaman thought of her when he come back home and he was cleaned? You think there was any gratitude to this little maid? And the same for those that are truly saved. 
They're not made just a saved person, but they're made a part of the family of God. And they'll have that love, that appreciation for the family of God because now they are by birth from above. They're part of the family of God. So we're not born alone out in the wilderness, but we're born into the community of believers, into the church, the called out religious congregation of the living God made a part of the family by His grace. And so the word comes to Naaman. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. So now look at how this word has grew. And this little maid that was overrun by the armies of Syria, that was taken captive, and she's brought as a, a little servant to the wife of Naaman, and she has spoken something that went not just to the wife, but the word has now reached the second man in power, Naaman, and from there it's now come before the king. Now tell me God's not working here. Now though the, the little girl, she didn't speak to the king herself, but her word was carried to the king. And this is how the God works. The church's words, they don't go directly to the heart of man, but by the Spirit, God takes those words and by the Spirit, he carries them to the heart of man. And there they reach. And so Naaman, Naaman wants rid of his leprosy. Thank God that by the grace of God, I wanted rid of my sin. Now, before God came by, I had no desire to be rid of my sin. But when God made it evident, I wanted rid of that. And so God has pointed Naaman now to the only source of life and healing that Naaman had, to really to God himself. And I realize he's going to Elisha, but Elisha was God's man that he ordained and that he chose and that he called and that he had anointed for this job. This is God's man. So Naaman's going to come to God. God was the source of the leprosy and God's the only cure of the leprosy. God was the source of my guilt. He was the source of my conviction. He was the source of, of all the trouble that was brought on me. And he brought me to that that I would come to him because he was the only one that could cure it. God's the only cure for the sinful condition of man. And so the king now, king says, I'm going to send a letter and you go down to Israel and see what, what you can work out here. And you can see in this, they've got no idea how that things work. They've got no idea how that God works. But they're looking at this as any other diplomatic matter. We're going to take silver. We're going to take gold and changes of raiment. And again, not just t-shirts, 
But this is royal apparel. This is fine garments. This is not cheap stuff in this day. But they're sending out this great reward. And, and we'll send you down there, Naaman. And we're going to send with, with you such a fortune that they're not going to be able to turn you away. We'll, we'll go down and we'll buy this. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Now, where are you going to go with any diplomacy? We, you're going to go to the man in charge. And naturally, we're going to go to the king of Israel. We're going to go down to the one that, that has power and the authority and the ability because surely the prophet, he's serving under the direction and under the authority of the king of Israel. But boy, isn't that the furthest thing from the truth? I mean, in truth, here is this, this prophet of God, this ordained man of God that has the power of God resting upon his life and that is able to work these mighty works that nobody else can do. And his power has now spread abroad that the captain of the host of Syria is now coming unto him for help. But boy, back home in Israel, the king and the prophet are at odds. The king is rebellious towards the prophet. The king of a truth, he's not a God believer either. He's an idolater. He's a wicked man. But in the natural thinking, well, we've got to go to the king first and get his blessing and and then we'll cure the leprosy. Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now, this is the letter that the king of Syria has sent. This is who is coming, and this is why that I've sent him. He's got leprosy. We've heard that you're able to cure it. And we've sent him down there that you would cure his leprosy. And so the thought is, well, this king of Israel, he'll just give the word and that's what'll be done. But the prophet, he don't work at the behest or at the request of the king. As a matter of fact, the opposite has been so. Even Micaiah, that little prophet that we saw before Ahab, he didn't do what the king wanted him to do. They were at odds with one another, and that's what we find here. And so as this letter comes, the king doesn't say, well, let's send him down to the man of God. Look, I, I can't do anything for you. God's your only hope. He doesn't have that wisdom. Instead, verse 7 when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does sin unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So this is his reaction now. Here's the king of Israel, the very land where the prophet is. And now, Think about, think about this. The king of Syria and his second in power have come down for the prophet 
that he might be cured of his leprosy. They believe that Elisha is able to do this enough to send all of this riches and to send this man down to Israel to receive this healing. And the king of Israel doesn't believe in the prophet Elisha. But this is what he does. He rents his clothes. He's made afraid and distraught. And he says, look what the king of Syria is trying to do. He sent this man down here knowing that I can't do anything for him. He sent him down here that he might have a quarrel with me. That when I can't heal him and when I can't do as he's requested, he's going to be angry with me and send his army down here and, and destroy me. He's got no faith in the prophet in Samaria. Ain't it amazing how that is? Elisha's in his own country and the king doesn't have any respect nor belief for him. But he rends his clothes and says, I don't know what I'm going to do here. This king sent this man down here that he might have a quarrel against me. He's looking to start a war. Now, that wasn't true. But the king recognizes this. I, I can't do nothing for this. How, how foolish it is. And here, we're, we're speaking to the miracle that's going to be wrought. The king says, I, I can't do nothing about this. And only God is able to do something about this. And and that's what God is looking for. God's brought this to a work that, that mom and daddy can't do, that the king can't do, the government can't do it, the correctional system can't do it, the schoolhouse can't do it, the, the, uh, uh, the, the leadership can't do it, the community can't do it. Only God can do this work. Boy, that's the, that's the fact of life for sin. Only God is able to cure. And so God is going to prove that. He's going to work in that. Now, I would say this now. Uh, I thought we might wait to look. But in the gospel, this, this very work is mentioned in the gospel. How that in the old times, Jesus himself says there were many lepers. There was a lot of people in this shape and in this condition in the days of Elisha, Elisha the prophet. In, in the gospel, it says Elisus. But there was none of them healed save one. So in, 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 this is in, in Luke chapter number 4. So there were many lepers, not just on the face of the earth, but God himself here says, Luke chapter 4, verse number 26, 27, I'm sorry. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisus the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And if you look at the if you look at the context of that, Jesus is talking here. Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted 
in his own country. Ain't it amazing how that is? That God brings up a prophet of their own country and Israel doesn't believe. They don't look to him. And yet a man of Syria that bows down in an idol temple, he's going to come and look to him. Ain't it amazing? God's going to sovereignly choose to heal this man of his leprosy and all the lepers of Israel, they're not going to be cleansed. And we looked at that scripture in Luke back when we were looking at Elijah and the widows all. There were many widows in Israel, but God only sent Elijah to one of them during that time of great famine. And so God's going to send Naaman now. See, it's, it's not by opportunity. It's not by how religious that man is. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not of blood. It's not of man. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it's of God that sheweth mercy. That's the only explanation that you can say here. Naaman's healed because God worked this out. And glory be to the name of God for his wondrous works. We'll stop right there for today. Hope you have a wonderful week. Pray for us.